<clears throat> okay, so I'm going to talk about courage in the face of opposition. Um, so Simon kicked off, as he said, a couple of weeks ago, and essentially he talked about some of the history and the context of the church and Thessalonica and all those amazing maps. It was a bit of a history lesson. It was really interesting, and if you missed it, you can catch up on the web. I mean, the astounding thing for me, and this was something I hadn't realized before, is that Paul was only there about three weeks, maybe a bit more, to plant a church before he moved on. I think that's just incredible. And uh, so he's writing here now to fledgling Christians in the midst of opposition to give them some encouragement and basic instructions. This is a very light-hearted talk today uh, to start the summer holidays with. Um, So we're going to look at uh, chapter 2, and it's essentially a call for courage in the face of opposition. And opposition was coming from all sides for the people there, some from their local communities, some from the religious communities, and some from their own families, which is why Paul was concerned at these new Christians facing all this trauma and opposition from such an early time. And, you know, I've kind of wrestled with this passage and the idea of bringing such a message at the beginning of the holidays. But actually, this fits very well with a prophetic sense of what God has been speaking to me about over the last year or so, that we are living in different times. And, And I think this is a very timely message for us. Uh, as we're living in an inc- a world that's increasingly hostile to Christian values and faith. And, you know, there is a growing pressure to compromise, especially in leadership these days, a pressures to conform to unbiblical views or at least tweak them a bit so that people feel more comfortable with what the Bible says. And I am convinced that in the coming years, some of us are going to have to face some choices as to whether to speak up or to keep quiet around certain themes. You know, tolerance seems to me to be a one-way street and doesn't currently favor Christians by any means. I don't know if you've picked that up. And this isn't just in the UK. This is actually a worldwide thing that, uh, that things have changed. So in February this year, for example, Open Doors... Uh, released the latest edition of its annual World Watch List. And that watch list ranks countries based on the treatment of Christians. And they reported a trend of growing persecution against Christians worldwide, commenting that we are at the worst level of persecution in modern times. The worst level of persecution in modern times. Another study by the Center for Studies on New Religions fascinating title, showed that nearly 90,000 Christians were killed for their faith in 2016. And that as many as 600 million, 600 million were prevented from practicing their faith through intimidation, forced conversions, bodily harm or even death. And the study went on to show that Christians are now the most persecuted group in the world for the second year running. Something shifted. Something's changed in the last couple of years. And I'm saying these things not to frighten you, uh, but to prepare you. So that when and if some of these things happen, you're not going to get surprised or disillusioned. Because, of course, Jesus warned us that these things would happen. 
But it's just in the UK, for the most part, we've lived peacefully without threat or intimidation. And obviously, Paul also tells us elsewhere that we are to pray for peace. Pray for kings and all in authority that we as Christians may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. It's right to pray, to notice what's going on around the world and say, Lord, bring peace. Lord, please, that the gospel can continue to flourish without opposition. It's right to pray those things. So we must pray, but at the same time, we also have to make decisions for courage. Decisions for courage and resist the temptation to compromise. And this passage that we're reading, in fact, this book really, it's hard to sum it up in just one passage, gives us reasons why these things are important to us, that we shouldn't compromise, and also how we can do this. So I'm just going to read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16, and it'll come up on the screen as well. So here goes. Paul writes this, and he says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make doesn't spring from error or impure motives, neither are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. And you know, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for the praise of people, not from you or for anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. But instead, we were like young children among you, just as nursing mothers care for her children. So we cared for you. Because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And surely remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone when we preach the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were amongst you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God, of his churches in Judea, who are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people. The same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that you may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. And now I've got to do a talk on that in just a few minutes. There's so much in there. It's been a real challenge to know how to do this. Okay, so I want to talk then for a bit, first of all, about facing opposition and why we will too. So, 
Paul was writing to a church in Thessalonica, which was started in a riot. That sounds great, doesn't it? Started in a riot. Simon pointed that out last time, although he probably didn't quite mean that. And so Paul reassures them that the trouble they're facing is normal. (laughs) It's okay, he says, it goes with the territory. Remember how he came to you in verse 2. Verse 2 says, we'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. I mean, they certainly had. They'd been treated shamefully. In Acts 16, the story is that all was going really well. They were traveling around doing so well until Paul delivers a slave girl from a spirit of divination and ruined a perfectly good business for the men who owned her. As a result of that, Paul and Silas are dragged before the authorities and without a proper trial, which Paul was, as a Roman citizen, was entitled to, the magistrates, I mean, just can you imagine this? The magistrates had them stripped naked before the crowd and severely flogged and beaten. Now, in normal circumstances, that would have been enough to kill them. A severe flogging is enough to kill most people, but God spared their lives. And finally, they were thrown into jail until they were released to flee to Thessalonica. That's how they came. That's how they arrived. He says, remember how we came to you, beaten, wounded, the skin hanging off our backs, full of weeping bloody sores, but with the help of God, we dared. We had the audacity, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. There was a kind of a rebelliousness in Paul. You can throw everything you want at me, but I'm still going to give you the gospel. Courage came in the moment. We dared, despite ourselves, despite the inevitable backlash, we spoke up anyway, and God helped us to do this. And this word opposition, it's interesting in the Greek, it's the word uh, agon, from where we get the English word agony. We dared to tell you this gospel in the face of strong agony. Agony. It must have been about their own agony, the literal pain that they were in as they spoke, but also the terrible opposition they would eventually face from the mob that turned against them a few weeks later, where yet again they had to run for their lives. Remember how we came to you. And then how we had to leave in such a hurry, well, guys, that's how it goes. You know, that's, that's what you expect. This is normal stuff for us. What you're experiencing now is what we have experienced too. And also the churches in Judea, verse 14, you're in good company. It's okay. Be encouraged, church. <laughs> Be encouraged. You're just being persecuted like everybody else. And I don't know if you or I would have found that particularly encouraging. But then Paul and the early church's frame of reference was very different to ours because, guys, they expected trouble. They expected trouble, whereas for us, it's a shock. Or it even leads us uh, to believe that maybe we've done something wrong. Or maybe God isn't with us anymore. Because I'm having trouble. Or maybe he's not protecting us and we get disillusioned and we get angry. But it's not true. It's not true. The Bible warns us time and time again that 
the more we reach out, the more resistance we're going to face. The more that people get saved, the more opposition the church experiences. The more churches we plant, the more trouble gets stirred up because kingdom advance leads to kingdom confrontation. It was exactly the same for the disciples. I mean, did you realize this? They faced no opposition whatsoever as long as they stayed in the upper room in the prayer meeting. (laughs) It was only as they went out on the streets that the trouble started. And so the Holy Spirit, he drives us out onto the streets. I don't know if you've seen this. Everything's about mission. Have you realized that? If you go around the country at the moment, that's the prophetic emphasis everywhere. It's all about mission. It's all about influence. It's all about getting involved, engaging with our community. So we find Christians called into arts, called into the media, called into the marketplace. Some Christian leaders have been called out of church leadership and back into the workplace, into the community, called into the community. But do you realize that that's called into places of confrontation and provocation? And so we should expect some opposition. That's how it goes. It's part of the deal. Be encouraged. It's not because you're doing anything wrong. It's actually because we're doing something right. It's not because God isn't with us. It's because he is with us. And the kingdom of darkness is reacting to the advance of the kingdom of light. You know that darkness hates light, spiritually. It wants everything covered up. It wants bad stuff going on. It hates light. It hates the advance of the kingdom of light. But it's not all bad news. Because something else is happening too. At this time... In the face of opposition, people everywhere, right across the world, are turning to Christ more than at any time in history. More more people are becoming Christians now than at any time in history. That at any time since the beginning of the gospel, more people are becoming Christians. I mean, just take the Muslim world, for example. Studies estimate that significantly more people have converted from Islam to Christianity in the 21st century than at any other point in Islamic history. In 2015, a survey, global census, estimated 10,283,700, which they say is a conservative estimate for obvious reasons, 10,283,700 Muslims became Christians around the world. (laughs) Because you see, the darker it grows, the more brightly the light shines. And this is great, and this is encouraging. Be encouraged, Paul says. You're in good company. But please, I think we're going to need a bit of a change in our thinking to start thinking that when opposition comes, that's a sign that everything's good. We need God to do something in our minds, in our understanding. We've been so sheltered in the West, and I thank God for that. I thank God for that. And so I want to take you a bit further. I want to look now at some of the things that Paul says To help us to live through opposition. Because for some of us, these things are going to help us. 
for all of us, I suggest. So I want to give you some strategies for living through opposition that Paul gives us in this passage. Uh, I just feel like I can't even do this justice. I feel almost embarrassed to share these points with you because I could spend weeks on some of these things. But briefly, here are some of the things that I see. Number one, here's the first strategy for overcoming and dealing with opposition is be convinced of your own purpose and calling. Be convinced. You know, it's, it's clear not just from this passage, but from many other things that Paul writes that they were completely convinced about their purpose and calling as ambassadors of God. They said, we are heralds of heaven preaching the good news of Jesus. Convinced about it. He says, we speak in verse 4 as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Are you? (laughs) Are you convinced like that? I'm approved by God and commissioned to be a preacher of the gospel. It's not just for the leaders. Jesus said the Great Commission to everyone, go and make disciples. You're all commissioned. We are all commissioned and entrusted with the gospel. Some of you don't look convinced. And Paul was also convinced about the power of the message that he carried to change lives. Or crumbs, he just had to look at his own life. He just had to look at what it was to be a murderer and and on his way to kill Christians, the Damascus Road experience. And he says, God stopped me in my tracks. He changed my life. He was convinced about the power of the gospel to change people's lives. And do you know what? Not only had it changed his life, he could see that it was happening wherever he went. The same story was being reproduced as one after the other after the other was turning to Christ. Their lives were changed. So he opens this passage and he says, You know, brothers, verse 1, that our visit to you was not a failure. Verse 1. Not without results. Why? Because he was referring back to the previous chapter. Many of you have turned from idols and you've come to know the real living God and their lives were changed. He was convinced about the power of the gospel to change lives. You know, each of us, we may not have a Damascus Road experience like Paul, but each of us has our own story of transformation too. Start with that. Start with your own testimony. Start with what God has done for you. So often, it's so easy to tell people about stuff that's been happening in our lives and stuff that God has done, healings that we've seen, miracles that we've experienced. It's a good place to start. You see, the gospel lives through you. I love the fact that in chapter 1, Paul calls it our gospel. He calls it our gospel because his own story was deeply connected with the message that he preached. And so he was convinced about the power of the message. And finally, Paul was convinced about where the message came from. He believed that when he shared the gospel with people, that the words that he spoke weren't just the words of men, but the very words of God. He says that in verse 13. The very words of God. When you preach the gospel, when you bring the good news of Jesus, 
when you explain, explain like Trevor did, he explained the four points of the gospel. Those are the very words of God. And people need to hear these words of God because God is speaking to mankind. He so loved the world that he sent the gospel. <laughs> he sent Jesus. People need to hear this message. It's so important. Are you convinced? Are you convinced in the calling that you have, the power of your own testimony, and the power of the gospel to change lives because you communicate the very word of God? Get convinced. Get convinced. Because when you get convinced, these convictions will give us courage to share our story and our faith. If you think, oh, well, it's just, you know, church or just stuff. This is the very words of God. This is life-changing stuff. Oh, I could go on about that. Number two, be free from the fear of man. So number one, be convinced of your purpose and calling. Number two, be free from the fear of man. If I was to ask around this morning, what is the one thing that stops you from sharing your story and your faith in God with others? I'm sure it would be this. Fear, fear of man. Fear of what people might think of us. Fear of ridicule, fear of criticism. Fear of harm, even. Paul and Silas had got very clear on this, and he says in verse 4, we are not trying to please people, but God. Verse 6, we are not looking for praise from people. And you know, fear robs us of faith more than anything else. Fear of man. And it's not that we ever get to the place, I don't think, unless you're a bit strange, that you're never afraid of man, I don't think we ever get to that place. I mean, who wouldn't be afraid of facing opposition or pain or suffering? There'd be something wrong with you if you looked forward to that. I don't think anybody would want that. Actually, it's more about fearing God. I don't fear man because I primarily fear God. I want to do what he tells me to do. I want my life to count for something for him. It's a change of priority. It's not man, it's God. That's the priority. And it's not so much that we don't get praise from people either. You know, you meet some Christians, they're so miserable, nobody's ever allowed to encourage them or praise them. You know, because that's not the praise. I don't take the praise of man. You ever heard that kind of nonsense? That's not true. You know, Proverbs actually says, let another man praise you. We need to be encouraged, even by people from the workplace or whatever. But it's not about that. It's, that's not a priority to me anymore. It's not about the praise of man. That's not what I'm living for. It's actually the fact that God loves me and praises me and endorses me and what I'm doing. That's more important. That's the priority. His pleasure in us is a higher priority than the pleasure of man. And so as Paul says in verse 3, it was with the help of God that we dared to tell you his gospel. This is something that God has to do in us. And it's very hard to project yourself into a position of opposition and confrontation to think about how bold I'm going to be. In my experience at least, and I haven't been beaten or anything like that yet, but in my experience in the place of confrontation, God helps me in the moment. When I'm afraid, when I, when I don't want to speak up, he helps me in the moment. God helps me to speak. He gives me the words to say, when you're delivered up before men, in that moment, Jesus says, I'll give you the words to say. 
So it's not so much about projecting yourself into somewhere. It's actually relying on him in the moment. It's, and it's not about willpower either. Oh, I'm not going to be afraid of men. I'm not going to be afraid of people. It's not about anything we can muster up by ourselves. Because actually, you know, you can get yourself into the place where you're not afraid of anybody anymore. You can actually do that. You can convince yourself. Or I don't care what anybody thinks of me. You can get into that place, but the fruits of that are not pleasant. This kind of attitude leads to arrogance and even a sense of superiority. Well, only we've got the truth anyway. Have you seen any of the stuff from Westboro Baptist Church? It's abhorrent. It's horrible. It's judgmental. But we're not afraid of anybody. We'll just tell you. That's not what we want. That's not what being free from the fear of man is about. I mean, Paul... He says, look, this is a possibility. You could go that way. In verse 6, he says, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. We could have, but instead we chose. We chose to be like young, gentle children amongst you. We chose to come like that, not to use arrogance or superiority. And the thing is that Paul didn't fear people. Why? Because he loved them. (laughs) So I'm not afraid of anybody because I love them so much. Uh, he, says, he says, I love them. So verse 8 says, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Do you know that phrase? It's so fun reading the commentators. They're a bit freaked out by this. We loved you so much. They said it's over the top. It's kind of verging on romance. This is a bit creepy, Paul. You love them so much. We gave ourselves to you. We didn't just give you the message. We were changed by the message and we gave ourselves to you. We loved you so much. That's why we weren't afraid. That's why we we preached anyway in the face of strong opposition because God gave us such a love for you because we serve a God who so loved the world and we've caught some of that love. So even if we have to face pain and suffering and opposition and persecution, even death, we're going to lay down our lives for you because of the love that God has given us for people everywhere. Paul didn't fear man. He loved man and woman. He loved people. And God helped him. Because of his own great love for the world. Don't fear people, but love them. And when you love people, it gives you power to overcome fear. To reach out to them even in the face of opposition. So that's number two. Be free from the fear of man. Just love them. Just love people. Thirdly, be committed to the family of God. Be committed to the family of God. It's another strategy for overcoming Or living through opposition. You know the church is a family. I mean look at all the family references. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. But the amount of family references in this section is is just incredible. So the young children 
coming as young children, uh, gentle children in verse 6, describes how these powerful apostles related to people. But he goes on in verse 7, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, the kind of love that he's talking about, as I've explained, is familial. It's about family. It's about deep heart commitment. Surely brothers and sisters, he calls them brothers and sisters, siblings over and over again. And then in verse 11, he says, as a father deals with his own children. And then in verse 17, straying into next week, Paul says, "We because you're my family, we share the same DNA in Jesus. And the reality for many of the people in the church of Thessalonica is that the opposition came very close to home. It split families. You know, there were some Jews in the church who would have been excommunicated from their communities for converting to Christianity. Others from paganism would also have been excommunicated from their families and communities. Some people will have lost their jobs. Perhaps they were idol makers or craftsmen building pagan temples. I don't know. All kinds of costs for actually serving Jesus. You know there's a so, there is a cost for leaving something behind and, and going and following Jesus. Some of these people were living with this cost. And people like this need the church to become their new family, both practically in terms of support and even housing. Imagine you, you've been chucked out of your, your family home, but also in relationship and, of course, spiritually as the family of God. And, you know, I think for some of us, too, there may be similar prices to pay. People leave other walks of faith, for example. They, they couldn't eat. We've already experienced this, Alice and I. People need sheltering, need hiding even, because it's dangerous for them to become Christians. And, you know, throughout this, Paul deliberately uses family language to drive people together. To help bond them in difficulties. And you know, when we go through hard times, even some of the pastoral things that go on in our lives, we need one another, don't we? Is it just me? We need one another, don't we? To stand with one another, to be with one another, to pray with one another, to make a meal. How many meals get made around this church? And you've just, you've just had a baby and you're inundated with meals. It's worth having a baby just for the food, I think. But how much more so when people are persecuted? When, when the press has turned against you, when you're on social media and you're vilified, how much more will we need the family of God? How much more will we need one another? Then the final thing that helps the apostles to keep preaching their explosive message is that they were very clear of the consequences for people not responding to the message. So let me just read again verses 14 to 16. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus, and the prophets who also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them. Sobering words. You see, seeing people respond to the gospel 
is not about the success of our ministry or the size of our church in the end. It's about the eternal consequences that not responding to Jesus has for each and every soul. That's what's more important. They don't have to come to our church, but they need to find Jesus. And it's really not very fashionable, even in church terms, to talk about hell and the wrath of God to come and these things, but they're very real. And the truth is that some people are dying today who will not be in heaven tonight, and they're lost for eternity. And we don't like to think and talk about these things, but we need to get a grip on it. We need to allow these things to motivate us. This is urgent. There's an urgency about the gospel. Some people tonight are not going to be in heaven when they die. And they're going to face torment for the rest of their lives. This must motivate us and give us courage to speak and act when the opportunity arises. To speak without fear the consequences of facing eternity without Jesus. Let me just conclude then. Um, I'm convinced that God is on the move. I'm convinced that God is moving in phenomenal ways like we've never seen before, that we're going to see more people saved in our day, more than I've ever seen in my lifetime. I really am. And the statistics hold that up. I think England's time is coming. I feel that prophetically. But with the advance of the kingdom of light, there will be resistance. And for some of this, some of us, this will mean opposition and even suffering. And some people close to us may even lose their lives in England. Some friends of mine have recently come under great attack from national press because of some of the moral issues that they've stood for as a church. Tim Farron. Uh, not so long ago, had no alternative but to step down from public office because in the face of great intolerance towards his Christian values. We need to see the signs. We need to read them well. Not to be afraid, but to be aware and to prepare. And I think there's more to come, and so we must pray. But we must also prepare. We must strengthen ourselves and grow a robust, a robust faith that is capable of standing in the face of opposition. And it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. There's a call for courage in the face of opposition. And this opposition, this agony, as Paul says, has already come in many places around the world today. And it will surely come if we are prepared to pay the price and step out without fear and compromise. You think about it, you've only got to challenge a particular theme or subject and you're going to get a load of trouble. It's not that far away. You've only got to stand up. It's not very far away. At the moment, we haven't had to. And for some of us, it will mean things like just owning up to your Christian faith in the workplace. You know, even being a Christian now is vilified. Some of us, it is just that, just owning up to the fact that you're a Christian. Or in your family, standing up. For others, it will mean saying no to some things. 
which you felt no choice in the past but to go along with, that God the Holy Spirit may whisper in your ear and say, you know, that isn't right. You need to say something about that. With your heart pounding and, and sweaty palms, you may have to stand up and say, that's not right, I can't live with that any longer. Or it may mean facing up to some opposition with love and not anger. And that's a kind of a humbling of myself. Well, you might hate me and you might want to hurt me, but I'm still going to love you. So it's a sober message today, but timely. And here's the challenge that I don't want to bring to you or to myself. But you can't but lead to this conclusion. Are you prepared to stand up, to speak up, and to go switch the light on in some dark places? I don't want anybody saying yes without counting the cost. I want us to just stand in the presence of God for a moment. Let's just do business with God, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for courage. You know, courage is one of our... Our family values as a church. And courage isn't about being brave. I don't think many of us are that brave or stupid. (laughs) Courage is about, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it afraid. So I just, uh, there was a point in the New Testament where the persecution started to break out. And then the church had to regather to pray because they were afraid. And they said, Lord, look on their threats. We need something more from you. And it says that the Holy Spirit came and filled them again and filled them with courage and the boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel. Now, we've not reached that point yet. There may be some people that already have. And if you have, I'd love to pray with you and stand with you. But the Holy Spirit will constantly send us out into places of conflict to rescue people from the enemy and bring them into the kingdom of light. That's part of the deal. Amen. I'll just stand before God. Maybe you just want to put your hands out and say, God, here I am. The great thing for me is this the last message before I go on holiday. So see ya. (laughs) But Holy Spirit, with the help of God, We want to be courageous and not compromise. And Father, some of us may already feel like there are areas of compromise that we are being tempted to take or have even taken. Moments that we've not stood up, moments that we've kept quiet when we should have spoken out. Holy Spirit, thank you for your grace. But Lord, we ask you for your forgiveness. And pray, Lord, would you fill us again with your spirit and help us to be courageous. And in the moment of decision, Lord, will you be close to us? In the moment where we have to choose whether to speak or be silent, will you be with us? And will you give us the words to say? And in those moments when our mouths dry up and our hearts are pounding and our hands get all sweaty, Holy Spirit, will you increase your anointing upon us to speak the words of God, speak the gospel with love?
And so, Father, we just want to offer ourselves to you and say, here we are, Lord, send us. All those that put their hands out, Lord, that's what this is about. And if you don't want to put your hands down now, that's fine. But this is the way that we're responding, Lord. We're saying, Lord, send us. Lord, we're shaky and afraid and we don't know what it's going to mean. But, Lord, the message of the gospel is too important to keep silent about. And, Father, we ask you for the fruit, not just the opposition, but the fruit Lord, we are so excited to hear of millions of people coming to Jesus at the moment. Millions of people. And even in our own community this morning, people coming to Jesus. And Lord, we want to see that multiplied over and over and over and over. Come on, Lord. Your hand's not too short to save. Reach out and save many through us, we pray. For your glory. We want to see lives changed over and over again by the power of the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you just mention to God, the Holy Spirit, right now, somebody that's just flashed into your mind. It may be somebody's just flashed into your mind and said, I want to speak to them. I want to have another go at them. I just felt like there were a number of people around the room. It's just there's people flashing into your mind right now. Why don't you just pray about them? Say, Lord, would you give them to me? Bring them into your kingdom. Family members. They've resisted and they've resisted. Just bring those people to God right now. Before it's too late. Jesus, before it's too late. Thank you, Father.